AWO regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking with David Trayan from the Sportsman's Alliance of Maine coming up here in just a moment or two. A uh, lengthy conversation about the uh, legislative response to these shootings in Lewiston, as well as what the facts uh, of uh, the circumstances surrounding that shooting have shown. Uh, is it that we need a ban on large-capacity magazines, a ban on so-called assault weapons? Maybe we need to replace Maine's yellow flag law with a red flag law. Well, according to what David has found, uh, the answer is no. None of those things would have made a difference. What would have made a difference be um, law enforcement, the military, actually using the tools that were available to them to ensure that this dangerous individual was not out in public. Now, we'll get to that in just one second. Before we do, let's talk about this for a moment. Biden's America, it's crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation, pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy a way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. And now let's turn our attention to our conversation with David Trayan from the Sportsman's Alliance of Maine, talking about what happened in Lewiston, what is likely to happen in the state capitol as a result. Take a look and a listen. David, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to ask, first of all, um, what you are hearing from the legislature, you know, we have not heard uh, the governor um, uh, announce her intention for any particular gun control bills. But we've obviously heard, you know, uh, Senator Angus King talked about uh, an openness to a magazine ban. He's been hinting at a, a ban on so-called assault weapons. Um, but we haven't heard a lot about what's going on there at the state capitol. So can you enlighten us as to what you're hearing? Sure. It might <clears throat> shock some of your listeners, but we have a pretty really good relationship with this governor and it feel feels like she has taken the most responsible approach so far she has indicated she wants to see the facts of what happened and then form a policy around what happened and so we're encouraged by that statement um there's people in the legislature and the majority party that wanted to move forward within days after the tragedy in lewiston obviously they wanted to use the emotion of what happened to push a gun control agenda. And the governor's resisted that. <clears throat> I have publicly said that's the most irresponsible approach to this incident, that we need to find out what happened. And so we understand at SAM, Sportsman's Alliance of Maine, that there's going to be two paths. There's going to be the same thing that happens every time there's a shooting. Bloomberg, Moms Demand Action are going to try to muscle through gun control. It doesn't make any difference what the facts are and what actually happened. That is their MO. They just immediately move forward, assault weapons, bans, magazines, waiting periods, background checks, you name it. It's always the same rhetoric. 
Well, what we have done at SAM is I I met with my board repeatedly. I said, I want to get, and I'm good at this. I've done it for a long time at digging into the facts, finding out what happened, and then we'll figure out a policy to correct what happened. And so far, what I've found is that there were a colossal series of errors in judgment made all the way from New York in the military, the New York police, all the way to Maine. There were failures all along the way to have captured this guy. Mr. Card assaulted a fellow soldier in the military down in New York. He wasn't arrested. He made threats against a military installation to shoot it up. He was not charged. He was put into a hospital. Um, and then the ball was dropped repeatedly in Maine when he came back. What we have proposed, and I've spoken with Senator uh, Susan Collins' office repeatedly, is that we change the policies that impeded both the military and police officers from, from having taken this guy into custody, assessed him, and then possibly removed his firearms. And so that's the situation we are in at our organization is we're going to follow the facts, and where the facts take us is where we're going to put our energies while the other side is just irresponsibly putting the blinders on and racing forward with their agenda yeah well and, and to that end i mean one of the facts that we've learned and you you kind of alluded to this is that he was apparently committed to a army mental health facility in new york um from what i understand not by his own volition uh, the boston globe reported that he was you know basically involuntarily committed so the FBI has said he wasn't in the NICS system, wasn't flagged. He flagged himself when he tried to purchase a suppressor and, and wrote on the 4473 that he had been uh, committed to a mental institution. Have you been able to figure out? I know that we've got, you know, U.S. senators asking the Army Inspector General what the heck happened here. Um, but have you been able to figure out what exactly happened so that that ball was dropped where what should have been reported to NICS apparently was not? Uh, and the uh, a killer who should have been a prohibited person was apparently not prohibited, at least under the NICS system. Sure. Uh, I have dug into that pretty deeply. And what I found is um, it appears that part of his unit, there were several police officers that were training at the time. And when he was making these threats, when he was violent, when he assaulted a soldier, uh, it was on a military um, exercise, educational um, two-week um, I guess, military training um, operation. The people around him knew that he was unstable. I was told that the way that they parsed out that force commit, a force commitment versus a voluntary one is that these individuals within his unit escorted him to the hospital. That is an important, uh, um, not revelation, but statement, mm -hmm. because I, I asked this on the radio just recently. I said, if this was an individual in the public, somebody that was under the same circumstances, potentially a danger to themselves or others, would they have been given the same courtesy of being escorted and then given an option to voluntarily commit, which then doesn't lose your firearm rights, or being forced committed? I have a feeling that when he assaulted the soldier, it had something to do with him being escorted to the hospital. Now, this is important too. 
Um, New York has one of the most robust uh, red flag laws in the country. They also have a process for mandatory reporting for mental health workers. He made some of his threats against New York. Why didn't the military notify the New York police of what was going on and then allowed them to assess this individual whether he should have been red flagged once he left the base? Why didn't the military do what they had done for themselves, increased security, uh, took away his access to firearms and ammunition, which happened. Why the heck didn't they notify the, the New York police? And if they did, why didn't New York red flag him? Um, what I've asked Senator Collins to do as part of the national legislation is require all branches of the military <clears throat> under these circumstances to notify the state in which the facility is located prior to their release, as well as the state of residence prior to their release. And that way, if the military decides not to take away his firearm rights, at least the, th the states where the threats were made would have the same option. And in this case, they didn't. They released him and then notified the states. At that point, he's into the wind, and they would have had to track him down and do their due diligence, and that didn't happen. And that just reinforces what I said earlier, which is, there were a series of misjudgments and failures by the government to use the tools that they already had to get the guns away from the sky. And that's just the reality. I'm sorry for those officers in the military that made those poor judgment calls, but that's the, that's the consequences of accountability. Well, and listen, I mean, we've, you know, and, and when he was released and he returned to Maine and his family, he was caught talking to the military, his family was talking to local law enforcement um, there were attempts to go out to his home. I know that the gun control groups have said, ah, look, this this shows that, uh, you know, Maine's yellow flag law doesn't work. Well, it wasn't used. So I don't know how this could show that it doesn't work. Um, it, you know, and, and again, it raises the question about if if there was this awareness. Right. Then why wasn't there an attempt to, uh, again, use either the mental health commitment law in Maine? Um, or use the yellow flag law, which again has a mental health component, unlike a lot of red flag laws around the country. Yes, it has. It, well, it, you're right. It it has robust due process in it, and I believe our our main uh, risk protection orders, or called by the press yellow flag, and I'll get to that in a minute. The uh, it could have been used. It should have been used multiple times. This guy could have been charged twice with felonies. Once for threatening. The military facilities and then again when he assaulted a soldier at that point the 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 military the police officers in new york the people around him had probable cause to make an arrest if that had happened at that point there could have been an order to take the firearms without yellow flag when he came back to maine i've read the police reports which were very well done by the way um, there was a very good case made by the deputy sheriff as to why this guy should have been yellow flagged. What is unknown, though, is when the deputy, the second visit, was in the yard, said that he was in the trailer, said that his car was in the yard, why he didn't, when the guy, when, when car didn't answer the door, why he didn't go to the next step, which was to call in for backup, to get a warrant for his arrest, or to, um, well, for, for first a warrant for his arrest, but then just bring 
more trained individuals to the site to try to make entry, get a search warrant. There's so many things they could have done, but they didn't. They left. And I'm sorry, again, accountability has consequences. That was bad judgment, in my opinion. Um, I will tell you what the gun control advocates are going to try to pull, and it's very disingenuous, is that they're going to say that in this case, it wasn't clear if there was probable cause to do a yellow flag. The way that your listeners need to understand this, probable cause for the purposes of an arrest is when a police officer is called, let's say there's a domestic assault, potential domestic assault, police officer comes to the residence, the doors open, there's a young lady with a black eye and a bloody nose, the place is, is, in, is disrupted, and there's an individual there. That's probable cause to believe a crime may have been committed. That's when the officer can then make an arrest. With the, with the so-called yellow flag protection orders, uh, risk protection orders, it's a different probable cause. The officer, based on the information they've received, and in this case, the Andrew Scoggin deputy chief had a long list of complaints from the military, concerns around his risk to the public and others, the family, the fact that he had guns. It was a long list that would add to the police officer who was at Card's trailer. This is very important because it's different than probable cause. Under our uh, risk protection orders, the officer, based on what he has been told, when he observes the individual, if he believes that individual is suffering a mental health issue and may be a risk to himself or others, with all the other information he has, that is the probable cause to take them into protective custody. The thing that they're confusing the public with is this officer did not take the next step to actually see this Mr. Card, to observe him, to ask him questions. So that's what they're trying to say is, is wrong with yellow flag. That's true of a red flag. When a red flag order is issued, the officer takes the order to that Mr. Card's home. He has to encounter him, give him the order, and say, we want your guns. So this isn't, this isn't even about what happened for the gun control groups. This is about using the uneducated public, their misunderstanding of what probable cause is and the circumstances involved to promote their gun control agenda. That's all this is yeah. because the facts are different. The facts show that everything was there and it was a misjudgment by the officer that allowed this man to keep his guns. I know that's a long explanation, but let me tell you something. These folks are going to use that to try to change the yellow flag so they can dismiss due process for gun owners. Those people in a mental health crisis, which happens, a mental health crisis means you're not in control. The law is supposed to protect them, too. Yeah. Isn't well, that the whole idea of mental illness? You're not in control of yourself. Absolutely. But, but you know, but, but again, <laughs> red flag laws aren't about mental illness. As you well know, right? Uh, this is one of the things that you you uh, talked about in terms of what makes a you know Maine's law different is that there is a mental health component right up front. Gun control advocates hate that. They don't want uh, the subject of a red flag petition to have a mental health evaluation. They want to be able to go to a judge 
without that individual be even, even being notified that a hearing is taking place, present one side of evidence and based on a very low standard, not even probable cause, uh, but just basically, yeah, I think there's a really good chance this person might pose a danger to themselves or others. Let's go get their guns. Let's leave them alone, by the way, because there's no mental health component after the order has been issued either. So we've got somebody who's dangerous, who we think is dangerous. We take their guns away, but we leave them with their knives. We leave them with their car keys. We leave them with their gasoline and matches. Yeah. That's that's what the gun control advocates want. That's the law that they were able to put in place in Virginia, where I live. Um, and one of the objections that I had was, again, there's, you know, there, there's no due process up front in terms of ex parte hearings. You're not entitled to an attorney if you can't afford one because it's a civil proceeding, not a criminal proceeding. And again, there's no mental health component, either in terms of making the judgment about whether or not somebody's a danger to themselves or others, or if that determination has been made, ensuring that they get the treatment that they need so that they're no longer a danger to the public. Um, all of these, I think, are just shortcuts and band-aids around the fact that we've got a mental health crisis in this country. We have a shortage of inpatient beds. We have a shortage of providers. Uh, and so to actually deal with this substantively, it's difficult, right? Well, let's just take the easy way out. Let's remove due process. Let's erode everybody's civil rights and make it easier just to take people's guns away. And then we'll consider the problem solved. Yeah. Well, let me illustrate that. Um, the Gun Safety Coalition is not only misusing the facts and misleading the public to promote their agenda. I believe they're putting the public at risk by repealing yellow flag and replacing it with red flag. And let me explain to you why I say that. Okay. We've now used our so-called yellow flag 117 times. We've used it 35 times in the last 30 days. Okay. Massachusetts has had a red flag law for five years. They've attempted to use it, I believe, if my members are right, 57 times, of which 38 times it was successful. So in five years in Massachusetts with 7 million people, they've been successful in their red flag use 38 times. We have 1.3 million people, 1.37 million in Maine. Okay? We have a process now that is working. It has been used far more than Massachusetts law in less than two years. 117 times, but this is the important piece. Of the, I think it was 57 times, it was only used 38, which the, the, the court, when they were requested, almost half of them were rejected because they were not substantiated in fact. In other words, somebody made a complaint, but it wasn't warranted. Spurwink, who has a contract with Maine to do the telemedicine component, mm -hmm. At the last count that I saw, they had done 61 assessments, of which 60 yellow flags were issued. Maine's yellow flag law is far more effective because of that due process and all the steps that have to occur in, in capturing these very dangerous individuals, not just to the public, because people get this confused because they think of mass shootings because that's the most controversial of all the, all the gun issues. Some of these individuals were that were captured on the yellow flag were holding a knife against their own throat or had a gun in their mouth when the police arrived. They weren't going to kill other people. They were going to kill themselves. This law is designed to capture those individuals at the time of crisis, well, probably the most dangerous time of their lives, get them under control, get their guns away from them or knives or prescription drugs that they might overdose on, get them some care, some help, get their situation under control and save their lives. In Massachusetts, that only works half of the time, if it does work at all. 
I think what they want these red flags for is to silence gun owners. Um, all of us lose our tempers. We do things in our lives where we, 20 minutes after we do them, we regret them. I believe half the time they want neighbors, friends, and others to just say, hey, Joe Smith over here is a little wacky. He's got some guns. We know he hunts. I think he's scary. Go get his guns. That is far different. That is based on somebody's accusation. It is not led by an individual's actual action of holding a, gun, a knife against your throat. Uh, in the Maine's yellow flag process, it's the individual's actions that lead to them getting into the system to, to have this risk protection order. It's the other way around with the red flag. It's somebody's third party comments that they go to a judge and say, I think Joe Smith is scary, go take his guns. And then that's how it gets assessed. Who knows whether that's actually true? And that's why it fails half the time. Yeah. No, I, think that's why I think, listen, I think that there's something to that. I mean, there's a, a lawsuit going on in Maryland right now, challenging Maryland's uh, extremist protection order. And the subject of this petition, it was a government official who had filed the petition. Um, this guy had been squabbling with the local government. They were saying, you know, your lawn's too long. You got to, you know, your your house is dirty. You got to clean it up. Be going back and forth with them, I guess, for decades. And finally, one of these government officials filed a red flag request. Um, he was taken in for a 72-hour mental health hold. He was determined he was fine. Um, no red flag was uh, issued. For, no final order was issued anyway. But this was, you know, pretty clearly retaliation. Exactly as you just described, not on the part of a friend or a neighbor, but in this case, you know, a government official who said, I, you know, what, I'm going to use this because I don't like what this guy's doing. I don't like the fact that we're always arguing back and forth with him. Um, and, you know, this guy was a decorated veteran. Uh, he had done nothing wrong. He, you know, even a, a judge ultimately agreed that that was the case. But he was subjected to obviously the indignity of, you know, a 72 hour mental health hold, having to explain to his neighbors, having to explain to his friends what was going on. Uh, you know, again, it was this attempt to, I, I think, target him, if not because he was a gun owner, certainly use his gun ownership to target him and to try to destroy his reputation. Um, uh, you know, and I, 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 I mean, I'll be honest with you, David, I have my concerns about extreme risk protection orders in, in any iteration that they have. Um, but having said that, what I do appreciate about Maine's law is that there is that mental health a component right up front. Um, there are, again, attempts at due process, not just in terms of ex parte hearings, but in terms of who can file these reports, right? That there does need to be an investigation. Yeah. And you're right. The gun control groups just keep wanting to lower all of these standards, right? We were told when red flag laws first came around that they were going to be rarely used, yeah. that uh, there are all of these guardrails to ensure that they wouldn't be abused. And now the gun control lobbyists say, oh, no, let's take down those guardrails. Let's turn this into the Autobahn. Right. Let's make it as, as easy as possible to file as many of these things uh, as we possibly can. Governor Hochul in New York directed the New York State Police to file red flag orders in every available circumstance, which, again, goes back to the question of why they didn't do that uh, with this particular individual. Um, but I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And, and do you think that's going to be one of the big fights in the legislature in Maine next year? Yeah, I, I met with leadership yesterday. and I'll just say leadership because um, some of these meetings have to be confidential. And I said, we're putting up our fight on yellow flag. We know that this other stuff's coming and we'll deal with it. 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fight on that as well. But we're going to fight on this yellow flag provision. Um, our entire constitution, all of the individual rights that are in it, are not rights for the government or third parties to be able to use to go out and target somebody you don't like or or use your opinion. Everything in the judicial system is set up that you're you're considered innocent until proven guilty. And when when you go to court, you have a right to defend yourself. Not an ex parte complaint that's made without your knowledge. You have a right to face your accuser. You have a right to representation. And you're considered innocent until the government proves you're guilty based on the facts. Red flag flushes that concept. It says that you as a gun owner are such a high risk to this society that we're going to take the word of one person and flush all of those rights away and take your guns away. Guns are guns, but they are a liberty. The Second Amendment guarantees you the right to have firearms. You, As long as you're a law-abiding citizen, you don't harm your neighbors, you have a right to own guns. All right, so using that example, what I just said, it's a liberty, it's a freedom. If we applied this concept to the First Amendment, what if we had a red flag that said, and I just was on the radio this morning calling out the Portland Press Herald for misrepresenting the facts, what if I could then go file paperwork with the court saying that this reporter at the Portland Press Herald should have his rights to free speech, his First Amendment rights taken away, because he just endangered the public by getting misinformation out there to the public? The outcry from the press would rightly be so loud you couldn't hear anything else going on. They would be screaming bloody murder. But this, see, there seems to be a stigma now and a scarlet letter that's applied to you if you're a gun owner. Mm -hmm. You're already assumed that you're a higher danger to the public and you need a lesser level of rights as everybody else. That is exactly what the gun control community wants. They want you to feel the scarlet letter, the stigmatized um, feelings that you get when family comes over and says, oh, you have guns, I have to take my family and leave. They want you to be ostracized because that means you'll be less likely to buy more guns. This is not, this, this whole thing that's happening is not a mistake. It's continuing to use the political process to pound away on gun owners. It doesn't make any difference if you're law-abiding or not. It's about, they think guns are so bad that they have to be purged out of society. I'm going to share something with you listeners. About two days after the, after the tragedy in Lewiston, I received one of the worst death threats that I've ever received. I was a legislator for 12 years. I've gotten death threats. This one was, somebody needs to come to your house and shoot you in the face. Just as simple as that, but it was a lot longer. And so I called up the the Augusta police here, where, where my building is, I, I shared that. I shared it with the governor's office and public safety. And you know what kind of support I got for protection? Zero. The only way I could protect myself from somebody who just told me they wanted to shoot me in the face was to, to protect myself. How are you going to do that? I went out and I purchased a firearm. I increased security here at our facility. My point is, 
For those out in the public who think that the government can protect you, just look at what happened in Mr. Card's case. The government failed you from the beginning to the end. Now we think we're just going to give them another law or two, and all of a sudden they're going to do a good job. Right. No. Ultimately protect yourself because the government can, cannot be standing next to you every waking minute of every damn day. And that's what we're looking at with these guys. That's what they want. They want you to depend on the government for your security. Give up your firearm rights and hope. Well, guess what's happening around this country right now? It's going in the wrong direction. Violence, death, murder, all of it's going up. And it's going up fast. You want to disarm the people that are law-abiding? Nah, I don't think that's happening. Well, David, listen, I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing there. I hope we can uh, continue to stay in touch as we get closer to the legislative session. Um, but again, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your advocacy. Stay safe, and, uh, and let's talk again soon, shall we? Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate David being with us on the program, and uh, yeah, looking forward to having him back again very soon. Um, right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story. Our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of East Chicago, Indiana, where a man has been sentenced to probation after taking a plea in a bar shooting. I thought, as I saw this headline, okay, well, maybe there were some circumstances. Maybe, you know, you didn't know if this was self-defense. Maybe it was kind of an iffy situation. Doesn't look like it. 26-year-old Justin Gomez pleaded guilty to criminal recklessness, which is a level five felony in Indiana. He was sentenced to 18 months probation and told to complete an anger management program as part of his plea deal. He admitted that he was at the El Sombrero Bar in East Chicago on August 19th of last year when he got into an argument with someone, started shooting that individual from near the bar. Now, he told police that he blacked out and didn't remember what happened. Security video shows him running out of the bar holding a gun just after 2 o'clock in the morning. The victim was shot at least five times. According to doctors, Gomez originally charged with attempted murder, aggravated battery, battery by means of a deadly weapon, and battery resulting in serious bodily injury. And again, those charges were dismissed. He pleads guilty to criminal recklessness, the lowest level felony that you can find in Indiana, and now sentenced to a day behind bars, just 18 months of probation and anger management. And Justin Gomez can move on with his life. The victim in this case, probably not likely to move on nearly as quickly. Today's armed citizen story from uh, York County, Virginia, where a gas station clerk shot a suspected robber on Tuesday. Happened uh, not long uh, before a uh, separate incident in Memphis where an armed robbery was thwarted by an armed citizen who uh, shot and killed at least one of the armed robbers. Another suspect taken into custody of the scene, another on the run. In this case, in uh, York County, uh, the uh, gas station clerk apparently <clears throat> on the job at uh, Joe's Quick Mart about 9 o'clock Tuesday morning. And according to Sheriff Ron Montgomery in York County, a, a 38-year-old Newport newsman walked in, announced that he was robbing the store. Uh, Robert Montgomery says uh, that's when a male clerk pulled out his own gun and shot the suspect two or three times. Suspect has had at least one surgery related to his injuries. Sheriff told uh, WTKR that uh, this type of crime is unusual, saying uh, this is a very rare occurrence for York County. It's not that we don't have robberies from time to time, but a robbery coupled with a shooting is very rare. The uh, sheriff said this is video surveillance of the uh, shooting incident is still under investigation, but at this point looks to be an act of self-defense. We'll keep our eyes open for any additional details. 
there out of uh, York County, Virginia. And finally today, in the right place, at the right time, I'm able to do the right thing. Uh, first responders in a Pennsylvania town who saved an elderly man from his burning home on Thanksgiving, a 97-year-old inside that building on fire. This was in uh, Pennsylvania, Hatboro, PA. Uh, officers from the Hatboro Police Department making their way through this burning home, uh, believing that there was a resident inside. It turns out there was a 97-year-old man who was asleep and unaware of what was happening. Now, the officers actually found the man inside. They dragged him out of the building to safety. Uh, the resident taken to a local hospital for uh, smoke inhalation. Looks like he is going to be okay. Cause of the fire currently undetermined, but uh, remains under investigation. And again, a uh, very good reason to be thankful for that uh, 97-year-old man there on Thanksgiving Day, saved by the uh, first responders there of the Hatboro Police Department from what easily could have been a deadly situation. So in the right place at the right time, we'll able to do the right thing indeed. We thank you those Hatboro police officers for uh, saving that elderly man's life. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. But I want to let you know tomorrow we're going to be talking uh, about something going on in New England, a little bit south of Maine. Dozens of gun control bills heard in uh, the State House on Tuesday. We've got more anti-gun shenanigans happening today. So tomorrow we're going to be talking with Mike Harris of the Gun Owners Action League. May be able to squeeze Jim Wallace in as well, do a, a twofer on our uh, last show of the week. But we'll be talking about what's going on in Massachusetts. Again, dozens of uh, gun control bills. A couple of pro-gun bills heard on Tuesday during this uh, committee hearing. But uh, Jim Wallace actually got got the gavel banged at him. He said for the first time in his career. So we have a lot to talk about on Thursday's show. Hope you'll be a part of it. Don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day today. We're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. I'd encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member as well. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. You're going to get exclusive content from Barry and Arms. If you become a VIP Gold member, you're going to get exclusive content from across the Town Hall media family of websites, including Town Hall, obviously, Red State, Hot Air, Twitchy, PJ Media. is a fantastic deal, and you're supporting the independent pro segment of journalism that we're doing here at Barry and Arms and Town Hall Media. So we certainly do appreciate your support. Have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.